Right, we are doing a, and I've got my summer shirt on, in case you hadn't noticed, <laughs> officially summer now. We are doing a three-part series called Staying the Course, and we're using uh, the fourth chapter of the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians for that, but the theme of Staying the Course, finishing the race, is woven throughout Scripture. A number of us do community Bible reading together where we're in little groups uh, reading our word, the Word together and, and encouraging each other during the week. And if you're doing that on Wednesday this week, the reading was from Colossians chapter 1, where it says, Continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. read that on Wednesday morning, having heard on Tuesday about a couple who have decided not to continue established and firm and to hold to the hope they have set out in the gospel and the tragedy of that, the encouragement of the word of God's scripture to us is to continue established and firm, don't move from the hope held out. I've been talking to a lot of other pastors this past week, both here in BCP and in other parts of the UK and around the world, and uh, it just seems that I've been talking to pastor after pastor who is going through a season of unusual difficulty, of pressure, of stress, of challenge, and the challenge then to keep standing firm, to stay the course. The reality is that the, the fight is real. If it wasn't a fight, it would be easy, but the Christian life is a fight, and that means that it is not always easy, and there are things which come against us which can make life feel very difficult. And the Apostle Paul presents a lot of that reality in this second letter to his friends in Corinth. We're going to read this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sorry about the stuffiness behind your masks this morning. I have noticed in the previous services a number of masks beginning to slip. Uh, a, a, a legitimate exemption is you're struggling to breathe. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Right, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What the Apostle Paul is doing here is identifying two realities for the Christian. The first reality is the Christian's status in Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's just described in the verses prior to this, how knowing Christ means to know light and knowledge and truth, and says here that it means knowing the all, all-surpassing power of God. That's our status in Christ. There's also the reality of our status in the world, and what does that look like? Well, often it looks like difficulty and hardship and things not working as we would want. And that's today's theme, the Christian in the world, the Christian in the world. And Paul describes this, this vivid image of treasures in jars of clay. Christians have, Christians in some way are, treasures in jars of clay. And there is undoubtedly treasure 
that we have. And I'm speaking primarily to Christians, and I know most of us in the room this morning know the Lord. If you don't, so welcome, kind of looking into what Christianity is, something of a picture of that this morning, this uh, status in Christ and the reality of living in the world. But we undoubtedly have treasure. Ephesians 1.18 says we have the riches of his glorious inheritance. If you are a believer, you have an inheritance in God. There are great riches that are ours. Think of the stories that Jesus told, Matthew 13, the story of the merchant who finds the pearl, the treasure, the pearl above all pearls and sells everything else he has in order to buy this pearl or the man who finds treasure in a field and sells everything else he has in order to buy the field to get the treasure. Why? Because this treasure is more valuable than anything else. It's worth getting rid of everything else in order to get this. And the point of those stories that Jesus told are are very obvious. Jesus is saying that's what it means to enter the kingdom of God. That's what it means actually to come into relationship with God through Christ, to That is to get the treasure. That's to win the prize which is worth sacrificing all else for. And so the Christian life is an experience of treasure, of of all-surpassing power. We mustn't forget the treasure that is ours. But it is treasure which is held in clay jars. I've got a whole load of clay pots in my garden growing plants. And the thing about clay pots, they look lovely, but they also kind of ubiquitous, they're pretty cheap, and also they break. I uh, have to replace some every year because it got chipped, dropped, cracked, split in the frost, whatever it might be. That's, that's the reality of, of clay pots. And the Apostle Paul says, well, that's what the Christian life is like. There's this unbelievable treasure, but it's somehow contained within clay pots. And for us Christians, the reality is that we often don't look much to look at. I mean, people who don't know the Lord could walk in here this morning and say, well, there's nothing much to see here. It's just a bunch of clay pots. But look inside, and there's extraordinary treasure, the riches of our inheritance in God, all surpassing power. And so the Christian life, Christian experience, is this combination of both glory and weakness, treasures in jars of clay, all surpassing power, and yet the realities of life. I think that the Lord doesn't want us to forget who we are, not to forget the treasure that is ours, the all-surpassing power that is, that is ours, that we have been brought into light and truth and knowledge in and through Christ. But we have to re- remember where all that is located. That doesn't, it's not something we've generated, not something we've earned, something we, we've worked out. No, it's all a gift of God's grace given to us. What are we? Well, we're just jars of clay who now contain this amazing treasure. And that means that we should live in a position of joyful dependence. And this seems to be especially important for the Apostle Paul. It's a a theme he really emphasizes. And I think part of this might be because clearly the Apostle Paul was an extraordinary man. If you read the book of Acts and read about what he was like before he came to know Christ, and then read about his ministry and read all the letters that he wrote, which we so often teach from on a Sunday, clearly the Apostle Apostle Paul was a man. Apostle Pam? (laughs) Apostle Paul was a man of extraordinary natural gifts. He, he was clearly brilliant. He clearly had huge intellectual ability. And he seems to have had unusual physical and emotional energy and resilience. And I think you can see something of this in, 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 his, in his life. And 
The thing is, for people like that, it's easy to start believing your own publicity, easy to start falling into a trap of thinking the stuff that you achieve is just down to your ability and your skill. And actually, all of us can do that. It's just a natural human process that we tend often to think all the stuff that's going wrong in life, the, the, the kind of things we take on the negative chart of life, that's somebody else's fault. That happened because they did that. And the positive things we can tick off, we tend to think, oh, that's because of my skill and energy and the effort I've put in. It's just how we tend to be as human beings. And the Apostle Paul could have done that because he had obviously huge natural gifts. But he's eager to remind himself and us that for the Christian, that's really not how things are. And uh, this is illustrated so powerfully at the start of the letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he describes an experience that he and his team had been through. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, about the problems we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Things are going bad for this team. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Apostle Paul is describing a season of unbearable pressure, as he puts it. And when that happens, our response, of course, is, why is this happening? Paul discerns, actually, this has been allowed by God in order that Paul and his friends might learn dependence upon God. And that actually brings them into a place of real security. We're under unbearable pressure, but if the Lord has allowed this, he's doing so in order to teach us something, and he will sustain us. He's teaching us to depend upon him. And part of the way in which Paul and his friends get through this season of unbearable pressure is by the prayers of the church coming before the Lord and the Lord's acting in response to those prayers and giving Paul and his friends the resilience they need to get through this season of unbearable pressure. And so there's this joyful, glad dependence that Paul describes. We're going to depend upon the Lord, even on unbearable pressure, and we're going to depend upon God's people. We really need your prayers. And when you pray and God answers, well, lots of other people then are going to give praise to God because they see how God is acting, uh, in how the dependable God is rescuing us in response to the prayers of his people. There's this joyful dependence, not Paul relying on himself to fix the problems, trusting in God and leaning into the prayers of his friends. It's not a, not a solo flying super, superhero Christianity. And we Christians really are meant to live with an awareness of our weakness. We can't do it, fix it, make it ourselves. We need the Lord, and we are meant to recognize our need for help from the Lord and from his people. That actually to be dependent upon one another is a good thing. And we don't like that because we think it looks weak. And the Paul would say, yes, and that's wonderful because it's in your weakness that the Lord will display his strength. It's a very different way of looking at life from how we normally would in our kind of world. Through our very weakness, the glory of God is revealed. And so, third thing is that there has been what we could call the great reversal. There's a chapter in Tim Keller's new book, which I'd really recommend, Hope in Times of Fear. It's a good book to read at the moment. And he's got a chapter in that book titled The Great Reversal. 
in which he describes how God does things in a way which looks back to front, upside down, from how the world would do it, that God doesn't choose the obvious people and the obvious circumstances to display his glory. He very often does completely the opposite to that. And this great reversal, this turning things upside down, strength being displayed through weakness, is really the theme of the whole of 2 Corinthians. This is what Paul says towards the end of the letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults, in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God chooses to show his power through what in worldly terms looks very unimpressive. doesn't do it in worldly ways. And so, yes, people should come amongst us and there be a sense of just clay pots. But these clay pots are full of treasure. God taking what is unimpressive, what is weak, in order to show his power and his strength. And Paul holds these contrasting realities together. The realities of our treasures in God and the reality of, of our clay pottedness. And we need to hold those realities together. This is normal Christian life. And so Paul makes this contrasting uh, sequence of statements about what the Christian life is like. I've just put it into a chart there. There's the clay pot reality of being hard-pressed and perplexed and experiencing the reality of death. And then there's the treasure reality of standing your ground and not giving up and knowing the power of Christ's life at work in us. And the reality is that sometimes we can feel very hard-pressed, pressed on every side. Sometimes it can feel like there's just pressures coming from every direction. And don't have to be prophetic to know that even in a small number of people like this this morning, some of you would have come in this morning probably feeling something of this kind of pressure or perplexity or whatever it might be. Sometimes life just throws all kinds of stuff under us. And Paul had been through that, as he says at the beginning of the letter in Asia, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. And probably at some point in your life, you've experienced something like that. And the thing is that a full vessel is much harder to crush than an empty one. It's a plastic bottle I picked up in the car park earlier this morning doing my litter duty. And uh, it's only full of air, but even only full of air, it's actually really hard to crush. Take the lid off, and it's really easy to crush. When a vessel is full, it's hard to crush. This is why recycling, you must always take the lid off and crush the bottle before you put it in the recycling bin. Have this battle with certain members of my family. How difficult can it be? Take the lid off the plastic bottles, crush the bottle. You can then put the lid back on, and it stays crushed. And that means the recycling vans are not carrying around bottles of empty air. <laughs> Honestly, not difficult. But the point is, full bottles are not easily crushed. And Paul says that we are clay vessels full of treasure. If you're full of treasure, you're not going to get crushed. You might feel pressure, but you're not going to get crushed. It says that we go through times of feeling perplexed. Why is this happening? Why, why does everything... Just, you've been through this experience. Why at the moment does everything just feel so difficult? Why, why is nothing straightforward? Why are the thistles growing so much faster than the things I'm trying to grow? 
Why is life like that? I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week, past week. He's a church in another part of the country. Just had terrible problems finding a place to meet. They were renting a building, which they then had to leave because it was getting knocked down for redevelopment. They put an offer on a building to buy, offer accepted, then got gazumped, didn't get that building. Nowhere to rent because the pandemic, nobody's renting out their buildings. And he's, I can't gather the flock. I'm worried the flock is beginning to scatter. And just, what is going on? I don't understand. And in those kind of circumstances, it can be hard to keep standing firm, to keep staying the course. But Paul says we can be perplexed, but not despairing, not, not, not giving in, but cracking on. And sometimes we just need to do the practical stuff to help us, to find some fresh energy in those moments of perplexity. One of my strategies for my stage of life, I need it every day, is a cup of coffee, 20-minute power nap, get up and chop some more thistles down. Just perplexed, but not despairing. <laughs> and then Paul says also that at times life can feel persecuting. And I think this persecution can be both persecution, which is active persecution, when sometimes, because of your faith in Christ, there's hostility that comes your way. Probably more often, it's, it's just kind of passive persecution, in the sense that just when it feels like the world's out to get me, it's just things are going wrong. It just feels like the world's out to get me. You know what it's like. You have that day when it seems like every appliance in your house breaks down and a pipe springs a leak and the car packs up and it just feels like and you get bitten by a mosquito and then stung by a bee. The world is against me today. The Apostle Paul describes his rather more intense experiences like this, 2 Corinthians 11. <laughs> Five times I received from the Jews of 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Paul knew what it was to be persecuted. And sometimes that persecution was direct, active persecution. This man is preaching a gospel we do not like, therefore we will stone him. And sometimes the persecution was just a persecution of what happens in going through life. Bandits on the road. And sometimes it was just life, and you can kind of almost feel Paul's frustration with it in this passage. What, the floggings and the shipwreckings not enough? Even the rivers are out to get me. Even the rivers. Everything is out to get him. Bandits, shipwrecks, floggings, stonings, even the rivers. <laughs> All out to get him. But not abandoned. Paul carried in himself a sense of the reality of, of God at work. God is at work in him. And, and think about how often Paul talks about the empowering presence of God, God's Holy Spirit being at work in the believer. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 5.5, 5, he has given us a spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 3.16, strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
Galatians 4, 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls our Abba Father. There's a sense, a real lived experience for Paul of the person of the Holy Spirit being at work in him so that he knows that he's not abandoned. God doesn't abandon orphans. God adopts orphans. And so Paul can feel persecuted but knows he's not abandoned. And he knows that, he knows that he's got all surpassing power, treasure, and he knows the reality of the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling him, strengthening him, and enabling him to call out Abba, Father. Two weeks' time, we've got uh, Simon Gilbo with us, who I know many of you know, who heads up Great Lakes Outreach, particularly working in, in Burundi, in that region of Central Africa. And if you get Simon's regular news updates, he's often sending through stories and videos of people in Burundi who experiencing all this kind of stuff, persecution, sometimes active persecution, sometimes just the reality of living in a place like Burundi with all the challenge of that. And again and again, you'll hear this, this person has gone through this and this and this, and you're thinking, ah, 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 and then it's, and treasure is being displayed, the fruit of their lives. They've led this many people to Christ, and they've seen provision in this way, and the miracles are happening, and it's like, wow, there's talk about treasure and clay. Looking forward to Simon being with us and uh, encouraging, challenging us. It tends to be quite challenging in a couple of weeks' time. There's times when we can feel struck down. Sometimes, just out of nowhere, things come and poleaxe us. But they don't have to destroy us. You can be struck down, and you can be destroyed, or you can get back up and not be destroyed. And when we are suddenly struck down out of nowhere, we have wonderful biblical pattern of how to process that through lament. We've got the book of Psalms, many of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. We've got the book of Lamentations, clues kind of in the title. It's about lament. We've got the book of Job. And those books show us how to pour out our lament, our grief. You've been struck down. Well, the Bible shows you how to bring that before the Lord and then to regain your feet. And we live with the reality of death and of life. A friend of mine, Sarah, died beginning of last week. Uh, same age as me. I married her and her husband, April 2000. And she died of cancer last week. And Sarah had, had a life which was full of thistles. Just one of those people for whom it seemed... You know, there's some people like that. I know there's a couple of you in this room. It just seems like the thistles are always growing. <laughs> there's always stuff. And yet, even, even as she died, Sarah is still displaying the life of Christ in terms of her trust and her faithfulness and her witness. And that's how it's to be for us, that in all our living and our dying, we're called to display Christ. We live in the reality of his death. Christ, who died in our place in order that we might die to sin and death, and Christ, who has been raised to new life, that we might share in his resurrection life. That's the theme of next Sunday's message. Looking forward to getting to that we live in this reality of clay and of treasure, of our weakness and God's strength being displayed in and through us. All glory to God. And so last thing we see that strength and weakness are completely defined by what is described here for us by the reality of the Christian life. We, uh, in our world, we do admire strength. We do. We admire sporting heroes, if you're watching the football at the moment, or 
anticipating a rather strange Olympics in a few weeks' time. We, we admire people who show unusual uh, world-class athletic ability and gift. There's something which we admire about that. There's something we're drawn to, and we admire the strength shown by certain entrepreneurs, particularly, let's say. And we listen to what they say, not only on the subject of entrepreneurship, but all kinds of things. And so Richard Branson or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos can make pronouncements and all kinds of things. And people say, oh, tell us, please. Every year, 20 young, attractive, intelligent people prepare to be richly humiliated in order just to get some words of wisdom from Lord Sugar. There's, we, we listen to these people. We admire them because we say, these are people who have made it, who have made something of life. They had nothing, and now look at all they have. And Elon's even going to the stars. Please, great Tesla, show us the way to live. We admire that kind of strength. Now, the Apostle Paul was strong, probably naturally. He was a brilliant man, had great energy, but didn't define himself by that. As well as admiring strength, we also in our world have a rather strange kind of admiration for weakness in the sense of victimhood, that it seems increasingly in our world that if you want to be a legitimate person, you need to fit in some category of being oppressed. And the more categories of being oppressed you can tick off, the more legitimacy you have in the eyes of the world. And so, yeah, middle-aged white guys like me, not gay, married, terrible. We're, we don't have much legitimacy in the eyes of the world because we're not oppressed. And that's a strange way of looking at the world as well. And Paul actually could have ticked off lots of lists of the oppressed. For a starters, he was Jewish, and that's never been great. And at the time, his nation was living under the brutal colonial rule of an oppressive foreign power. So, so Paul could both have, both have lent into his natural gifts, could have been the Lord Sugar of his day, and he could have lent into his hierarchy of oppression and said, look at all these things where I've suffered. And he doesn't really do it like that. He doesn't do it like that at all. Actually, what Paul does is say, look, treasures in jars of clay. He embraced weakness in order that strength could be at work. Yeah, I am weak in myself, but look at what I am in Christ. Look at him. Look at the treasures which he has revealed to his people. And so he says here, verse 12 of chapter 4, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Really, what he's doing there is defining apostolic ministry. It's about making sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. It's about sacrificing stuff for the sake of this treasure which has been found. He puts this very vividly in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. It's the way of the kingdom of God. It's the great reversal. It's how genuine Christian leadership operates, and that's very challenging 
certainly challenging for me as someone who is meant to be a Christian leader. This is a job description in some ways for Christian leadership. Come and work for us. What are we offering? We're offering trouble and hardship and distress. Great. Sign me up. Now, thank God most of us don't have to endure what the Apostle Paul did. But some do. I think of some of the people I know in Nepal whose lives look much more like this, to be honest. And yet he were able to say and demonstrate that though they might have nothing in the eyes of the world, yet they possess everything. And this isn't only the case for Christian leaders. It's actually a pattern for all of us Christians as we live in this world. That we shouldn't be surprised when life is pressured or perplexing or even when it feels persecuting. It feels like everything's, everyone, everything is against me. We should also expect all-surpassing power to be our experience because we are those who really can have nothing and yet possess everything. There's treasure in jars of clay. And so if we know the Lord, we're to keep staying the course, to stand firm. What is our status? Who are we? Well, we have this status. We live in the world. What does that mean? It means perplexity. It means pressure. It means difficulty. And what is our status? That we are found in Christ. And what does that mean? Well, that means light and truth and knowledge. It means all-surpassing power. It means that we've got the pearl of great price for which it's worth losing and sacrificing everything else. What are we, Christians? What is the church? Treasure in jars of clay. Let's stay the course. Remember who we are and be faithful to him who has been so faithful to us. Let's pray. Why don't you stand with me and uh, I'll lead us in prayer. As I said, it doesn't take a prophetic gift to know that some would have come in this morning feeling pressured or perplexed or whatever it might be. If that's you, just reach out to the Lord and ask for his help. Lord, do pray for us. I pray, Lord God, those of us who know you, that we would embrace our weakness in order that your strength might be displayed, that we would joyfully throw ourselves upon you and depend upon you and the help of others. wouldn't try and just tough things out on our own. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who are feeling that pressure, perhaps, like Paul describes, that even under pressure, they wouldn't be crushed. There'd be a, 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 a treasure which exerts an even greater exter- pushing out pressure to overcome the, the pressures that are pulling, pushing in on, in on us. And uh, yeah, Lord, I pray that we will be faithful in, the, in these challenging days in which we live, these crazy, chaotic, uncertain times in which we live. Lord God, let us keep staying the course, trusting you. And, and yeah, Lord, through us, through your people, through your church, may that all-surpassing power of God be displayed. Let us, let us display the reality of who we are in Christ, the good news that is, that yeah, everything else, it's worth foregoing everything else in order to find, lay hold of, know this treasure that can be ours in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you've made us. Thank you for our great calling and our destiny. Thank you for the promise of life in you. And I ask that we know that today and every day. In your name, King Jesus.
Amen. Let's just declare this. We will build our foundation on Jesus. Worthy of every breath we could have. 